the insurance company has to be profitable. If they're not profitable, they're not going to be able to stay in business. They're not going to be able to meet their obligations. Whole life companies adjust their dividends. Dividend, yep. while cap rates have been coming down, what have dividend rates done? They've all been coming down. Right. So it's not just the IUL space and the adjustments of the caps that we're seeing uh, that is leading to unexpected returns. A lot of people buy bought whole life, their whole life policies aren't performing how they expected because dividends came down. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Better Wealth Podcast. I am here with the one and only James Barber, another life insurance guru, YouTuber, talks about IULs, talks about whole life. You also do trading. You also have random videos on your, like some of your top videos have nothing to do with any of that. And I wanted to reach out just like I've reached out to some other people and, and just have a dialogue, hear your epiphanies, talk about some, some things that we're seeing in the marketing world and in the insurance world and how they're combined and uh, have this be a valuable conversation for people listening. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I was, I was, I told you this earlier, but I was really glad to see you reach out and you do it in such a, such a personal way that uh, I don't know how one can avoid it anyways, or, or deny, deny the, uh, the interview, but your goal of, of elevating the life insurance industry and specifically the types of products that we sell, it's noble. And I think you're on the right track. So I'm happy to help. Man, I, I appreciate that. And um, I will say sending videos to people um, are the secret weapon that's available to anyone. But as you know, not a ton of people do it. And I find that it, it very much separates the uh, it, intentionality of communicating. And especially it takes a cold outreach and makes it a little bit more personal. So I uh, appreciate you s stating that. Um, before we jump into all the exciting topics of life insurance, why don't we take a step back? You run Oregon Cashflow Pro, okay? So not making any assumptions of where you are, wink, wink, but I think, you know, we can kind of guess where you, where you live, but who are you? Like, why did you get into this space? And what was some of your epiphany moments to saying, yeah, I'm going to like be a YouTuber to help people with life insurance to talk about trading and insurance policies. Like, I, I don't think everyone's waking up, uh, wanting to do that. And of, of course you've been doing it for a while. So, uh, what is your story? Yeah. So I, I basically, I've been self-employed for a long time. I, I had a business almost, well, over 20 years ago now that I had started doing uh, pressure washing and window cleaning. And, and basically, I just realized really early on that, that I like to help people. Every business, every job that I've been in, the businesses that I've done is all about helping people in, in some capacity. And I've just been kind of working my way up the ladder. Um, originally, I was helping people, you know, fix things around their house, you know, as a general contractor and doing pressure washing and window cleaning. So anything I could do to help people there, I went from there to it being a real estate agent, helping people make the biggest purchase of their lives. And then I had the opportunity to get into the life insurance field and help people financially. And, you know, the, the last thing that they're going to um, present to the world after they pass away uh, with the death benefit. But um, that, that basically brought us full swing around from helping people the whole time. And it, it just keeps getting better and better. You know, every step along the way, I've found it more rewarding and the ability to help more people uh, in different ways. 
I remember back on, on my story, I had some moments where I just had like light bulb moments where it was like, oh, opportunity cost. And like, you know, the t for some reason, learning about taxes were like really exciting for me. Um, learning about life insurance, and but it was built on some core principles. Um, learning about cash flow, like reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. What were some of the key money paradigms that you had as it relates to being like, oh, like that's really cool and I need to share this with the world? What's funny is I didn't have any of those until after I started doing life insurance. So my buddy got me into doing life insurance. Uh, he'd been doing it for a decade, probably. He was high up in a, in a particular IMO and they're very focused on the education market. And so I spent a lot of time, I drove like 60,000 miles the first year in the business between California and Portland. Uh, just every day we would buy leads and try and sell um, annuities and uh, you know, final expense, things like that. Things that were not like what I'm doing now. Yep. And at some point in there, every time I get into an industry or anytime I'm trying to do something like I do a deep dive, I love to know the ins and outs. I like to know all of the details of what I'm doing. Um, you know, they just like most IMOs, they just give you a script and they're like, here, just go follow this script. If you got any questions, just tell them you'll come back to them. You'll answer it, which is fine for, I guess, a lot of sales, but that doesn't match my personality. I like to know exactly what I'm talking about. And so immediately I'm on these long drives and I just, I got on YouTube and I realized, oh, there's so much information here on this. And I don't know about half of this stuff. And so I, I stumbled across infinite banking pretty quick. And I went to my buddy and I'm like, Hey, what do you know about this? And he didn't know anything about it, which course, like, yeah. like most life insurance agents don't, right? Like probably 95% of the agents out there. Not only do they not know what infinite banking is, they don't know how to design good policies, right? Even ones that say they know what it is, they probably still don't design good policies, right? So I, I went and uh, while I was doing that, so doing all those drivings, I was doing this deep dive into learning everything. And when I saw the infinite banking concept, it clicked right away. Like immediately I knew that, oh, there's something to this, but I couldn't quite grasp what it was. And so it probably took me a couple of months of just going through everybody's videos, starting to listening to all the podcasts. I listen to every podcast on insurance you could think of, uh, not just life insurance, but everything. And it ended up connecting me at some point I got connected with Steve Parisi. Yep. So uh, he is great. And if it wasn't for Steve and his persistence, he reached out to me multiple times over and over and over before finally things connected. And I was, and I respond and I said, okay, tell me, help me out here. You know, what, what are you doing? How can I, uh, how can it help me out here? And so I ended up connecting with him. He was my mentor uh, and uh, everything just aligned. Like when, when he explained it, I was like, oh, that is great. And of course he focuses mostly on whole life and how whole life is designed and worked. And my exposure was to IULs and I was still trying to sell that to folks. Um, and so I had to figure out on my own how I can make those products better, right. which I kind of stumbled across because, you know, I'm trying to figure out the software for those things. Nobody trains you on how to design policies that optimize, that are optimized for the client's benefit, right? Because ultimately we make like 10 times less commission. Right. And, and none of these IMOs, none of these businesses, they don't like to see you make these tiny commissions, right? But and, and to play devil's advocate, because I 100% agree, no one's training you and no one's like, no one's going out of their way to teach you how to do this. It's because in their mind is they're like, hey, people don't make enough money as it is. They're like the 
crazy turnover rate in our business is insane. And so they're like, hey, when you can make a sale, i.e. your friends and family, uh, mainly your family, right? <laughs> uh, it's like you, you want to make money so you can stay in the business. And they justify it by saying, well, if you make more money, you can stay in business and quote unquote, help more people. And my pushback to that is if you do the right thing, if you actually train people, if you actually show them the best way, you're like, you're pumping them up with competency and confidence and allowing them to actually serve people, which guess what referrals and all these other things will happen as a result of that. And so it'll be interesting to see if they change because I feel like they're playing super short term game and then they'll lose in the end because someone will watch a video that I do or Steve does or you do. And they're going to be like, wait, I've been lied to my entire life and YouTube and social media is just growing. So I feel like the truth is going to win in the end of the people that really are good. And, and so we'll see if that changes in the training at all. I hope you make a good, yeah, you make a good point. The, uh, there's different business models. Everybody's got their own business model. I don't know that my business model will work for most agents out there. Like I spent my time driving, you know, two hours almost every day to meet with folks who I was getting the leads from. Right. So, so a general agent that maybe isn't getting the exposure that we're getting on YouTube. Right. How are they going to meet their clients? How are they going to, what type of money do they have to put out? They're going to be possibly buying some leads, going door to door. They're going to have to spend a lot more time per client in order to even get the business, right? Yeah. And, and they've got to spend the time to sell them on whatever concept is that they're trying to do. Right. So somehow I stumbled across uh, the, the magic key, which is YouTube and somehow you get yourself in front of so many more people and then they can self-select who they like. Right. right. But, but under a traditional business model, like I might make, I've done some policies where I make 70 or $80 and that just doesn't work. If you're spending 10 right. hours or 20 hours to get somebody from beginning to end of a sale, right. And yeah. you're just not making enough. So I totally understand that from a, a business model standpoint at the same time, I'm, a lot of agents come to me and they say, how do you do what you do? Nobody's training me to do that. And I want to do best by my clients. Like I don't want, I, I don't care about the money. There's so many agents that come to me and say, they don't care about the money. You know, I just want to know how I can do the best for the clients. And I think there's a lot more out there of people that want to do the best or thinking they're doing the best for their clients. And they're just not because they don't know any better. Right. So, so my goal with the channel is to get that education out there, not just educate clients, but we're educating other agents out there yeah. so that they're putting their best foot forward with clients. And ultimately what I tell people is with the designs that we do, they're very highly liquid and it allows for a lot of mistakes, a lot of um, challenges financially for our clients right? They can, they can start these big policies where they're putting lots of money in and with the intention of funding them for long periods of time, but we don't know what's going to happen. The economy could crash tomorrow. Uh, they could end up getting a divorce and suddenly find themselves without a job and the ability to fund the policy. And with a traditional design, like they're screwed and they're going to go to their friends and family and say, that was the worst yeah. financial decision I ever made. I'm never going to buy one. Nobody should ever buy one of those. And with the designs that we have now, instead of that conversation, they can say that saved me. That was the best financial decision I made when I bought that because I didn't lose access to, to all of my money 
it was able to meet me in my time of need. I was able to get back on my feet and fund it. And it's going great. And now the conversation of friends and family is going to bring more people into this space and, and sell more of these policies. And I think it, it helps everybody in the long run. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think great education wins in the end across the board. Our, our clients are are better understand what they're getting themselves into. And then we better understand how um, the whole system and, and market and industry works. Um, and so one of the questions I have for you is when I learned about life insurance, I went down the rabbit hole with the numbers, you know, did a lot of the selling systems, you know, love truth concepts and others. And it's just like, man, I really, really understood like IRR, how borrowing worked and all of that. And then um, I, there was a point where I just would like every, it's just all about the numbers. And that's probably where I would put some of the people that I've interviewed on the show. It's like, they're very much just look at the numbers and that that's there's that's fine and if you go down that route you're you're not going to be in a bad situation you most likely will get a really great policy i've grown a more con more conviction learning about like okay how life insurance can be used in retirement why life insurance like the creditor protections of life insurance the rider benefit of life insurance the um giving you other options in the future that we don't know um the estate value of life insurance and what that's done for me is it's like okay i I get the numbers and the numbers add up and it's better than saving my money in a savings account and all that stuff. And there's so many other benefits that are hard to put a number to, but I can, I can say that this is a plus for my financial future. And, and I'm very simple. I'm saying if life insurance, the way that we set it up, can't help you be more efficient, help you get your goals, help you live more intentionally, because that's one of our key metrics for success then don't do it. Like it's, I don't need to convince you to do anything. My hope is that I can educate you enough to say that you can make the answer yes or no. And I haven't been successful at that across the board, but I feel like we've done a pretty good job and we there's a lot of areas to improve, but like that's kind of what I want to raise the bar is I want people to understand the numbers because I think the numbers speak for themselves, but I think we're doing a massive disservice if we're just leaning on the numbers because when we're commoditizing an asset that I think is, um, very powerful if you understand all the ins and outs of it. And so it's that, that, that combo. I know that was a little bit of like a, you know, me speaking kind of on a rant, but what, what was your like epiphanies as it relates to life insurance? Was, did you have the same idea of like, you were just looking at the numbers and then the more you learn about benefits or did you learn about the benefits first, not really know how to articulate it. And then the numbers made it all come together. Yeah, no, uh, for me, even still, everything re revolves around the numbers. There's, a, there's absolutely benefits outside of that. But if we can identify how it fits in with the numbers, I think it works. I mean, people can see how it works. And, and I come from a place where I think whether it's IUL or whole life, there's a place in anybody's portfolio that it can make sense. Um, I have a, a, a wealth pyramid that I put together that you know, we've, we want to build a nice solid financial base and insurance plays a part in that, not just life insurance, but like all insurance plays a part of that. Like it can save you. If you don't have home insurance, your house burns to the ground that could potentially ruin you financially. Right. So, so insurance serves a purpose. It just so happens that life insurance is the only one that grows cash value and can serve other purposes. So our dollars can do multiple jobs. And so it's generally my goal to identify where could this possibly fit? And, th and that's kind of what leads me to deciding whether we're recommending whole life or IUL, you know, okay. what needs are we trying to meet in their overall financial plan? 
I, I have yet to find a place where it's where it doesn't really make sense, except for one situation where, you know, somebody's already plenty, plenty of cash, uh, lots of money and in investments that they can tap, you know, and you kind of use it like their infinite bank. Um, and they and they expressed a need for not having a death benefit uh, or, or not needing a death benefit. Right. Because, well, frankly, they didn't care about what they're passing on. <laughs> right. So it's not too many people that we come across that really don't care, like, but they've been successful. They know they're passing on enough, right? right. They're not worried about the tax consequences that, that whatever their current investments could possibly leave behind or any of the other things that we can express as benefits outside of that. So what got them to talk to me in the first place was, you know, where does that fit in my plan? You know, where, where can that fit? And ultimately they decided it, it didn't have a place in there, right. but that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> right. So let's, let's dive into infinite banking. It's a word that's used by a lot of people. Um, I have a ton of respect for our Nelson Nash. I have a ton of friends that are in the Institute. I think the world of, of the heart behind it. And I think on this, on the same token, there's a lot of marketing, there's a lot of bad math. There's a lot of bad teaching. And I think it's given a bad name to the so, some marketer. Like some, it's, it's the same thing. Some people that do certain things can give. When people think of infinite banking, people cringe. And so it, it's not. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. How would you explain infinite banking? What are the things that you like about it? And what are the things that are like no-no phrases or terms that make you cringe inside? So I, I do talk a lot about actual infinite banking. I'm not infinite banking certified. <laughs> um, you know, as most certifications, it's you give somebody some money, you go through some classes and you get to say you're certified, right? A lot of it is just uh, marketing. It's just marketing, right? For the most part. Uh, I'm all about what's the practical use of this stuff. I don't care about marketing. Um, I'm not out to, I'm not out to hook people. It, it can be very effective, right? <laughs> the certain marketing things out there, which I think we'll talk a little bit about some marketing uh, later on in here, but um, it's just about the numbers. Do, do the numbers work? And, and I view infinite banking as the and asset. <laughs> you put it succinctly in your book. Uh, but I view that as um, particularly what is the best place to put your money at before you deploy it. And I, come, I came to the same conclusion all the infinite banking practitioners have. And that's whole life insurance is a great place to do that. Now, I'm not stuck on just whole life. I like IUL as well. Um, for, for the most part, we do infinite banking in whole life because of the guarantees that it offers, right? And, and some of the other things as far as how it differs from IUL, but infinite banking in particular, I look at that as like the first place that we want our money to go because we know that it's safe. We know that it's going to provide a death benefit that's guaranteed and we don't have to worry about it. Um, even if we're not successful in all of our other areas of investing, that death benefit, we're going to be able to pass on as if we were, you know, our, our beneficiaries are going to be able to um, lead the life as if we were, and we were able to pass all that on. So I view the infinite banking concept in general as the first place that we're going to go to put our money. Um, whereas like the infinite banking group, they're more like, get me out of the banking system. <laughs> Um, that's not anything I necessarily subscribe to. Um, 
it's kind of the world we live in. <laughs> right. um, it, it would definitely be an uphill battle to to try and change all that. And uh, right. they're welcome to fight it. I don't have the time to fight. <laughs> right. And so something that I say a lot of is like, people aren't signing up for a life insurance policy to stick it to the Fed, you know? Um, and, and, you know, I think it's, it could be a point to say, hey, by the way, by doing this, we might be solving the problem, but um, I, I sure, think some that, are, but where do life insurance companies keep their money? Yeah. <laughs> and where, and, and to when you actually take out a loan and stuff, we're using the banking system. And so it's, it's a, it's a concept that I think is, you know, our insurance companies using, you know, fractional reserve lending. No. And so there, there's, there's some purity there, but at the end of the day, I'm, I hear you on that. Um, I think the big thing that I want you to speak to is there is a, there is a probably majority of people that do infinite banking that teach infinite banking are whole life only and think if you're bringing IUL to the conversation you're you beware kind of deal and and you know Nelson could be rolling in his grave I'm I'm trying to be as good of an interviewer here to try to be play devil's advocate talk about that you're a numbers person so talk about you know IUL versus whole life the pros and cons to that and I'm not asking from a standpoint of being in your face. I just, I know that's a question that a lot of people um, are Absolutely. asking and what would want me to ask that. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I get asked it quite a bit as well. Um, <laughs> it's funny because you do have people, people in the whole life space that are dedicated whole life tend to talk bad about IULs and they will point to the worst design products <laughs> as the reason to avoid it. People in the IUL space, they love the IULs and they will talk bad about all the whole life and they will point to the worst design whole life as a reason to avoid it. And then you've got the people in the, the stock market space who talk bad about all life insurance, all cash value life insurance. You just need to buy term and invest the difference. Right. And, and they point to all the worst designs. Whereas, you know, I, I have my toes in all of those places. And really, I think that there's a, there's a proper place as long as we design things properly they're all great and there can be a, there can be a good use for them. So as far as the actual critiques, when it comes to IULs and whole life, what I see when I'm looking at the numbers, all of the life insurance works the same way. So the underlying IULs and the whole life, the costs inside the companies, it kind of all works the same way. There's not really any difference. A big difference I see is when it comes to whole life, we don't get to see how all the expenses are uh, taken out of the account, how the insurance company looks at that policy and says, here's what we're going to deduct. We know what the, the dividend rate is, but that's just the gross dividend rate. They're not, you're not going to actually get the dividend rate. There's going to be expenses that come out of that. And we don't know what those are. Uh, is there any whole life carrier that actually spells out every single expense that they deduct? I haven't seen it yet, right? None of the policies I own do that. In the IUL space, because it's tied to the stock market and our indexes in the stock market, they have a lot more requirements. And so we get to see all the expenses and how they lay them out. We get to see the premium expense charge. We get to see the cost of insurance. We see rider charges. Everything gets laid out. And you can see what, it, what the projection is for that year after year after year for potentially the whole life of the policy. Now, there are definitely some complaints with the the IUL being built on annual renewable term. Yeah. And there, break that, break that down for the person that doesn't know what that means. So annual whole life 
is going to be a set price for the life of the policy. Anything, any base part of a whole life design is designed that whatever you pay for that premium is going to eventually equal that base face amount, the death benefit at maturity for that, that policy. Okay. So they know what that needs to grow into. Okay. And, and it's set up that way. That's how they can offer those guarantees. They know that it's on a path to reach that point. And then any, anything it does above that gets you PUAs. And so your death, your death benefit goes up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with an IUL, you got annual renewable terms. So it's the least expensive term insurance you can buy when you're young, but it goes up in value every single year. And, or, or it goes right. in cost. Yeah. And that cost is based on what is the likelihood that you're going to die that year? Correct. Yeah. So when you're young, it's a very, very small likelihood. When you get to be 90 years old and that cost of that term insurance, like a million dollars in term insurance at 90 years old might have a cost of a hundred thousand dollars. Well, that's because you're pretty likely to die at age 90. I mean, statistically speaking. So, so they're going to charge you a lot for that. Yeah. When it comes to managing these policies, what I look at is, do we have to, do we have to pay that hundred thousand at age 90? Right. And, and the reality is, no, we don't. So we can use these products, uh, not necessarily how they're designed right at the beginning. We don't have to stick with that throughout the life of the policy and just say, well, I start out with a million. When I first started the policy, I'm going to end up with a hundred thousand dollar bill if I'm fortunate enough to live at age 90, right? Well, no, we can actually adjust how much death benefit you're paying for Right. throughout the life of the policy. So I, I have a lot of videos that talk about managing the expenses. And if we manage the expenses properly, as that policy gets older, we're going to avoid any of those worst circumstances that people can think up when they think, right. oh, that policy is going to blow up. When we max fund these policies, um, I often show people the numbers when I'm designing these, and there's a minimum premium, and then we have our MAC limit. Yeah. And I tell them, ignore that minimum premium one. I don't design any policy to be minimum funded. If we minimum fund it, nobody's going to be happy. It's going to be barely uh, avoiding laps the whole time. But if you max fund it, shoot, in the first year, you could probably make your one payment and it'll last 10 years without making another payment because you've overfunded it so much. Well, if we max fund it year after year after year, and then you have the opportunity to manage that expense, it's virtually impossible that that policy is going to implode yeah. at some point down the road. And then of course, after age 75, some carriers with age 65, we have an overloan protection rider, which means if you happen to want to just take all your money and walk away from the policy, you can do that. Trigger that overloan protection rider and the insurance company will maintain a small death benefit so that your policy won't lapse and you won't end up with all those tax consequences. So we have the ability to manage that policy. The reality is, when they get to 75 years old, uh, if they've got a couple million bucks in this account, they're not going to find a better place for somebody right. to manage $2 million. If, yeah. if you've got 2 million bucks, you're, you're getting into an age where you're not managing it yourself because your faculties are probably going to be diminishing, at least in the mathematical realm. And if you take that out, somebody else is going to manage it for you. You're going to have to pay them maybe a 1% asset under management fee, and they're not going to provide you any downside protection. But inside the IUL, if we look at our costs and we're managing the costs, the fee might be, uh, the the fees inside of it might be like 0.01% 
of what you've built up in there right. and have downside protection. And you can still go up, right. you know. And uh, and just be clear, you'll always, as long as you have life insurance, you'll always have death. You'll always have the cost of insurance. You're just saying that there's flexibility. You can drop the death benefit low. It's like, yes, you're paying, you know, annual renewable term on an 80-year-old, which is expensive. But it's not on the full million of face. It's just on the the net at risk, essential you know, and that's, that's exactly. And when know, we reduce that, we might be able to bring it down to, you know, a hundred thousand dollars of net amount at risk, which means the underlying cost might only be yeah. a few hundred dollars for the year. So right. even though you're in your eighties and you're thinking, boy, what's insurance going to cost then actually it doesn't cost very much right. according to what we can do to minimize it. Right. And the death benefit, the overall death benefit is the cash value that you've built up plus however much death benefit above that, that you want to pay for. Yeah. And that's the key. It's, it's how much do you want to pay for it? If you want to pay for that million, maybe it makes more sense. But if you're doing it to reverse engineer cash, you want to pay as little as possible without making the contract. Yeah. Um, Here's that's the the idea. So when we get to that point though, that's when we, that's when we decide if you want to do that, you don't have to decide that at the beginning, but just knowing that you can do that. Yeah. it makes it make sense. Right? Yeah. And just and just to be clear, we we do primarily whole life and we're doing more IUL and we our system, if someone wants to look at an IUL, is we'll show them both and we'll talk about the pros and cons. And I've really taken a step back. I was very strong at a time in my life to be like, this is the only way. And I'm realizing that I actually lose a lot of credibility when I'm just this is the way. And you know, cause it's it's like, no, there are there are scenarios where the other product makes sense. So I just want to be clear as I'm asking these questions. Yeah. Um, the the other thing that I'll say is how do you answer the, you know, the insurance companies could change the levers. You know, they could theoretically. Absolutely. That's number one. Um, and then number two is there, you know, it seems pretty sketchy that IUL carriers can lower the cap on older products and keep the cap up here for newer products like that. That seems pretty dirty. Um, is, do you want to speak to those two things and you want to say any other things that you need to know what you're doing before you get into IUL? Because here's my beef with IUL is that's the thing that everyone's selling. It's the thing that network marketing companies and MLM, like all these companies are like, get licensed, make a killing, sell IUL. They're going to be out in two years. You're going to have an IUL, probably not structured well. No one's managing it, which is even, even. Like you would be the first one to say like IULs take a little bit more management, you know, you, you got to really be up on your game there. And so what ends up happening is even if it's 2%, let's just say a bad apples, it really may, it really blows up the whole industry because it's like, you know, Susie bought a life insurance policy to build cash value and have death benefit. Not only does she have no cash, she's losing her policy, you know, and, and that, that tends to not happen with whole life, even if it's not managed well because there's, there's a base. I said a lot there. Do you want to address the, the different levers that yeah. are changing caps yeah. and then anything else that you would need to be aware of if you want to pursue IUL? Because if structured properly, there's a good chance, if it's with the right company, that IUL on an internal rate of return standpoint and income standpoint could look better than whole life. That is why people do IUL. And you can correct me if I'm off on that, but that's, that's the, the stance that it's like, you know, theoretically, this thing is designed well, it's going to have more legs went from an internal cash value and income that it can produce 
than whole life. Um, so those are the pros as I'm being really hard on yeah. IUL. Yeah, it's the, it's the growth potential. That's yeah. why people opt for the IUL as opposed to the whole life. The whole life is going to be kind of limited. Um, I say kind of because, I mean, the dividends are based on profits and there's nothing stopping an insurance company from being massively profitable and paying out yeah. huge dividends like they did a while, you know, back in the 80s when they were at 12%, right? So there, there's nothing necessarily stopping that. It's not the reality that we live in because of the overall economy right now and the way interest rates have gone. So there's better growth potential in the IUL. You're right that in whole life, even the worst design whole life, if you fund it as anticipated, which could be a minimum design fund, it's yeah. not going to, it's not going to blow up. That's, that's the beauty of having those guarantees. Um, with the IUL, if we start with an optimally designed policy, meaning we're minimizing the agent commission. We have a, a nice blend of supplemental term and base face amount. It minimizes the cost right out of the gate. If we start off with a design like that, even if you don't manage the expenses down the road, it's not, it's not going to blow up on you. Like it will, it will always have way more cash value than the expenses that are coming out of it. Even if, even if the index return is not awesome, right? It doesn't, it doesn't have to be awesome. It can just be okay. When they're poorly designed, anything can happen. And, and yeah, I, I just don't like them at all. I, I, don't, right. I don't like them at all. I don't, I don't even like whole life if it's poorly designed, right? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want anybody to buy those. Um, I kind of forgot where you, the beginning question that you well, asked. So, and, and yes, and the, the, it is true that they could change the, the, Oh yeah. Changing it. They, they can change things. So the big difference between whole life and the IUL is the insurance company can change those levers, right? They can pull different levers in order to make their products not give you as much of a return. That is an absolute risk that you have to be aware of. What it boils down to from my perspective is they all have to still compete. Like there's a, there's a marketplace. They're not just operating in their own little space and they can do whatever they want. They they might be able to, they kind of can, but we kind of want to make sure we're not buying products from companies that have shown a history of doing that. Right. That's so correct. Yeah. I, I own some national life policies and I started off with higher caps than where I'm at now. The caps I'm at now, I'm not super thrilled with where I'm at, but on average, my returns have been right around 9%. I'm pretty happy with that. I'm the okay act, with that. the internal rate return or the cap. No, no, not not the intern, okay. not the internal. What I've earned from the index okay. review, right? Okay. When I add in, uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't done an internal rate of return okay. update on that yet, but I have broke even. I'm at year three, and I'm broke even on okay. well, on three of the policies. So, okay. um, so they're they're doing okay. You know, certainly compared to my whole life, um, they're they're performing better, right? But the insurance companies can change those levers and that can be really annoying. It can even be angry. What it boils down to is like with my national life one, I can still borrow at 4%. And I, and I could borrow last year and earlier this year at three and a half percent. If I could borrow at three and a half, four percent and earn nearly 9%, I could do that forever. I'm okay with that. So like uh, if for some reason they keep changing the levers. Can I say, can I say something though, just to, just yeah. so that we can have a dialogue the yes and the 
borrowing at 4% is the net cost that it's costing you, whereas making 9% is not the net return that your policy is getting. Correct. So I just, I want to be yeah. very clear. Yeah. With and that, with a proper but, design, my costs should be less than 1% or, right. or maybe okay. at the beginning we're around one or 2%. So if you're borrowing at four, hypothetically, and you're earning five, that's a 20% rate of return because your money's earning 5% and you're able to use other other people. So that's still phenomenal. Like in that. Yeah, yeah it's so, great. But I just it's want great. to point that out because I think um, we're going to talk about a gentleman. That's a good point because obviously with all of these, the, the expenses in the policy can make a big difference, right? Yep. Um, Pacific life, massive lawsuits leading to all kinds of changes in IULs a few years ago because of all of their expenses that most agents didn't right. disclose. Like they had something like seven and a half percent worth of expenses. So, so if you went negative and they're claiming a 0% floor, but you actually went negative seven and a half percent. Whoa, that's, that's terrible. Yeah. You know that no wonder there was lawsuits. No wonder changes had to happen. Right. With what we design, we're typically looking at 1% in expenses okay. and you know, 20, 30 years down the road, we're, we're way less than 1% compared to what, what could potentially have grown to as long as the indexes perform. Okay. The bottom line is when I get into these things is how is it doing? They can pull whatever levers they want. If they stop my ability to earn, I'm going to 1035 exchange out of there and get into something else. Right. That's, that's really what it boils down to. That's the saving Hopefully grace. Hopefully I'd still be able to qualify for life insurance. I mean, right, right. That, that's definitely a risk. Right. But the saving grace is there's 1035. It's not great practice, but it's like if a company underperforms, it's an option and it's an amazing option that we have that we can transfer with all the tax advantages in a lot of cases. And that's uh, how we can keep them honest. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're not going to keep our money with them if they're going to insist that we don't earn anything on it. Like, right. why would we? <laughs> so, so is that your argument to that they could change caps? Because this has been something, like it seems not right that they can market, hey, we have caps here. And then like clients like four years ago, the same company, same product line are getting paid less. Like that... Like, why are they allowed to do that? Yeah. So really what it boils down to is like, we got to think about the underlying, how these insurance policies work, not just IUL, but all insurance, right? The insurance company has to be profitable. If they're not profitable, they're not going to be able to stay in business. They're not going to be able to meet their obligations. Whole life companies adjust their dividends. Dividend, yep. while cap rates have been coming down, what have dividend rates done? They've all been coming down. Right. So it's not just the IUL space and the adjustments of the caps that we're seeing uh, that is leading to unexpected returns. A lot of people buy bought whole life, their whole life policies aren't performing how they expected because dividends came down. Right. right. What I'm it's saying is why can they change? Like I agree with that. Cap rates are coming down, but why can they say this they why can they market a cap rate for new products? And then have a smaller cap rate than what they're marketing. Oh, because it's a different, is. it's a different product. But so they, that's where they that's... change. Anytime there's a change in the industry, they make they create a new product that meets those new requirements. Right. And and they they're able to do that. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't happen to particularly care for companies that do that. Like, okay. There are companies out there that have, you know, like five or six different IUL products alone, right. like that one company, and they want to target specifically this. Yeah, target market, and this one will target this market, and then next year they'll come out with all different ones, and and I think that's kind of it, it's kind of shady in yep. my in my opinion. It does give them the ability to to rein in people who have already bought the product 
while offering something better to, yep. to new clients. I'm not a big fan of that. Here's, here's the thing, and I've, it might sound like I'm being really harsh on IUL. I, I really not. Give me, give me your hardest. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'll, I'll be the first to say, like, if you're going to go down this route, make sure you're working with someone that knows how to structure these things. Make sure you're looking at the history. Make sure you're you're like not doing a rosy scenario because I'm a huge fan of leverage. Like if you're borrowing at 4% and you're earning five, that's a 20%, you know, rate of return just on the arbitrage. Like that's pretty incredible. It's that's incredible. Uh, and now we're not even talking about what you could make out outside the policy. Right. So, so I'm like a, I'm a fan of that. And I also like leverage when there's not value underlying value there um, could just take you to zero faster you know, and I've, I've seen it happen, not just in life insurance, but in, in the real estate space in business. Like I have friends that were on top of the world a couple of years ago in business and they're not in business anymore. And it was because they, they were over leveraged and they didn't have enough reserves and they were afraid of, you know, having too much money liquid. And as a result, they're, they're out of business. And so I think all of this stuff is with a grain of salt. Um, anything else you want to talk about as it relates to IUL whole life before we talk? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, let me ask you among in the whole life space, which is the space you're most comfortable in, how many products out there can you, how many products, how many companies have products that allow you to design them the way that you like to, so that you can get optimal returns. Yeah, that's a great, probably like five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not very many. And, yeah. and there's thousands of insurance companies, yeah, right? That's a great, that's same a very, great in, analogy. It's the same thing in the IUL space. You know, yeah. you can't just go into and, and talk about IUL and pick any company and just have an agent say, yeah, I can do this. You know, this, this will work just fine for you. It's an IUL. <laughs> no, right. like there's a, there's a wide range. I can take the best IUL product, just like I can take the best whole life product and design it poorly. Totally. So, so yeah. that, yeah, it might work okay for you in the long run, but <laughs> it's going to be sketchy for a while there. It might take you 15 years to break even. Right. But if we design them properly, that's, that's the key to everything. Right. I'm, I'm I, don't, yeah, go I don't just work with every carrier out there. Like I'm contracted with 20 plus carriers, right? but like I contract with a whole bunch of carriers so I could play around with their stuff. Right. I want to see what's possible. Right. I probably do 98% with one company in the IUL space right now, but oh. that's because they offer a product that allows me to reduce the agent commission. Not all the companies do. There are some companies out there. They don't even allow you to do that type of design, in which case it's going to be a massive commission that pays out. Right. One of those has a good product anyways that, that I have sold despite that, but the client knows what they're getting into, right? They know that they're going to pay a higher commission for that product. And it, and it probably still isn't going to outperform the one that I like to do, right? right. Um, but the one that I mostly sell it allows me to reduce my commission more so than any of the other carriers. I can do it. I can do it basically a, a 90, 10 design, right? Um, they have a lot less levers that they can pull cool. when it comes to making changes in the policy. Their bonuses that they offer are guaranteed. The, they have uncapped options that are guaranteed to be right. uncapped. They've got a fixed loan rate. That's a participating index loan. So, you know, right out of the gate, what's the most that this thing can go up to uh, down the road, even if the interest rate environment changes. We know what it's going to be and we can earn arbitrage above that. So it's a good rate. Right. Um, the only lever that they're allowed to pull is the participation rate they can change. Right. You know, whereas 
most carriers, they can change the participation rate, they can change the cap rate, they can change the loan interest rate, they can change the bonus options, all right. of that stuff. All of the bonus options are, are guaranteed with right. this carrier. So I gravitate towards a company like that. And right. here's right. the other thing. They only have one product. Yep. They don't sell term. They don't sell whole life. They don't sell variable universal life. They only have IUL and they only have one product. And so it stays available for everybody at the same rates. They don't change it. Right. So, so the person that I'm giving, uh, uh, I'm selling today is going to get the same rates that the person that bought it last year. Right. Is and so, I love your analogy about companies because there's a lot of whole life companies out there that would not be ideal. And um, there's stock companies that are selling whole life and you wonder like, man, I'm not 100% sure how this works. Um, and so, yeah, I 100% I agree from a standpoint of, of that. And I think it really comes down to working with someone that is going to be in the business a while, knows what they're talking about, and really will disclose and go, go all about the pros and cons. And what's beautiful about YouTube and like people reaching out and like becoming our clients is like, there's not this like, sales convincing game it, it, we can spend a lot more time getting really clear on what their goals are and then really showing them and it's just i find that it, the quality conversations are better and the whole thing is just a better fit so anything else that you want to say before we move on i think we covered that pretty yeah good. no i appreciate that um all right let's talk about curtis ray you know fascinated by his marketing um and some of the things that he's able to say and he's painting this picture of this MPI product. Um, and I know that you've done a video on him and you've kind of done some other other things. So I'm hoping that you can just give me your two cents on Curtis Ray. Um, if there's any positives that you see what he's doing, I, I essentially in a perfect world, he's a genius and he's not the first person that has thought of like, oh, using leverage in a tax advantage way is amazing. Right. On the flip side, I think um, he's, I've said this publicly, I don't, I think he's gonna end up probably losing his license there's going to be a lot of class action lawsuits and what he's putting on his website, I think is very misleading to the type of people that he's marketing to. So yeah. there's my, there's my two cents. I would so, uh, love that not to taint your answer, but I would love to get your unfiltered thoughts. Yeah. I've done a couple of videos on it and, and really the videos are me answering questions because people ask me about it. And it was a, it was a question and answer video. Um, I ran across him a few times, uh, his illustrations, right. His, what he does. And, I, I don't really have a problem with what he's doing with, with the, with the concept of using a policy and basically what he's doing is taking the cash. You have a higher mech than you would want to just put your own money into. And rather than going out and getting premium financing, you're going to just borrow from your policy after you build up some cash value and put it back in as new premiums so that you end up with a higher mech. And when you're in the IUL space, you have that opportunity for arbitrage. What I don't like about that, like uh, as a concept, I think right. it works. If you, because we're working with safe products, there's downside protection. If it's designed properly, which he doesn't design them, pro well, he doesn't work with a carrier that allows you to reduce the agent commission. Right. So you're not getting an optimal product in my opinion okay uh, you're gonna have liquidity challenges at the beginning which is built into his plan you know i mean what he pitches to people you're gonna take a couple of years before you start pulling cash value out of it and putting it back into it right mm -hmm. the biggest problem that i have besides how he designs his policies is 
he's unrealistic about the expectations he's setting for people. Like he makes it sound like a conservative return on this is like 12%. I critiqued him a long time ago. I, I, I was, it was in his live chat or, or on his comments. I was like, I think you're ignoring that insurance companies can lower the caps on these things because they could really reduce it and blow your policy, blow your plan out of the water. Right. right. Uh, there's no way you're going to earn 12%. If the insurance companies has a 6% cap, there are some carriers out there with a 6% cap on their S and options. It's just not going to happen. So that's the biggest problem that I have with the marketing that they do on it. Um, as a concept though, what it boils down to is like, and I guess there's, there's rules against laddering and using cash value from a policy to buy another policy. I'm not, I, I think it's because people abuse that, right? I mean, it, it's, it's been abused in the past and, and especially with terribly designed policies, which so many policies probably still this, these days, the vast majority of policies are poorly designed. But when you consider taking a loan from a policy, you can do anything you want with that money, right? Um, what do you want to do with that money if you want to take it and you want to earn more money with it? So if you're borrowing at 5% from the insurance company, um, you're going to want to probably get, you know, I don't know, 7% return to make it worthwhile to, to take it out and put it into another investment, right? Maybe higher. That's one of the advantages of the infinite banking concept. I'd, I say it, it helps us elevate uh, our investment choices because we're not just going to pull it out for, for any old return or, right. or something with massive risk, right? Well, as a believer in the IUL product with the proper design, and it's a very safe place for us to put our money, I have no issues putting that money back into an IUL policy because I know it's safe. I know it's downside protected. Like, why wouldn't I do that if I could potentially earn 9% on that? Like what mm -hmm. I, that's what I've been earning on mine. So, <clears throat> so I don't really have an issue with that. You know, you can do whatever you want with the money. If it makes the most sense to put it into your policy, cool, do that. Um, but let's set realistic expectations. And for goodness sake, let's design the best policy so they have the best chance of working. Because, because yeah, I, if, if things do go south there, I could definitely see that, that taking place where um, he's going to have a lot of unhappy customers. There's going to be a lot of lawsuits and we're all going to pay the price for that. Right. Well, and this, and this, and this, that's the thing is like, these things have happened before. There's a mm -hmm. lot of insurance schemes. I've always learned this and this is maybe, this is the thing that I'm going to hold on to because I think it's going to save my butt in the future where it's like, never try to over pitch an insurance product to be an investment. And you're right. Like there's some cases that it can outperform an investment. I just think in the long run, we will always maybe regret overselling or overhyping life insurance as an investment. And the sad reality is even whole life could outperform what some people are making according to the Dow bar because of emotions and fees and volatility. And so, sure. so I'm like, I, it's, I'm a big fan of life insurance. I think, yeah, you're right. In a perfect world, you can do this. Does, does premium finance work? Yes. And our premium finance. Sometimes, all, I mean, all it, these, it could, yeah. Could yeah. it not work? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and so, um, so yeah, it's just interesting. And, and just to be fair um, with what you said, um, his calculator estimates an annual return of 6.25% with a cost of 4%. So, so he, you know, so he might, you know, obviously we've stated this where to oh, make 4% is what you borrow from, Right. From the company that he likes to use. Right. 
And then the 6.25%, I would imagine, I would hope that that would be the net increase in your policy, because if not, it's- I would, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. (laughs) There's something that he's not accounting for there. Um, That 4% is the cost to borrow from that company. Oh, it's not guaranteed to stay at 4%. I think the cap is 8% with that company. (laughs) Okay. And, and and so that that that's my whole point from a standpoint of when you look at regulatory things, when you look at um, just so, so many so many variables, and and then on the on the on the flip side, he's like very very loud, and um, it's just it's just interesting. And and the reason I bring up this individual because there's a lot of people I could bring up, by the way, is I just think it's this example of you know make sure to work with someone that you trust that knows what they're talking about and is not overhyping any one thing. And that is that is the that is the thing I as I've told you, I'm going to make a video soon about Curtis and kind of a, co- a combination of some of the, the things, would, the pros and cons and include our interview with him because I have interviewed him. And so this is no secret. I just I really appreciate you taking time because you understand whole life. You understand infinite banking. You understand IUL. You're a proponent of IUL. You understand leverage. You're a nerd when it comes to the math. So I do appreciate you commenting on this um, because I but think yeah, I'd, I'd go, I'd go a little farther than just say, go with somebody that you trust because marketing sells trust. You right. know, a lot of people will talk to, to not just him. I'll, there's another guy out there that, that does a lot of IUL. Uh, in fact, you can say his name other, if you want. <laughs> most of your other big IUL ones, um, well, Matthew Decker and, and then you've got, um, the laser fund. Yep. And Doug, Andrews. Doug Andrews. Yeah. Yep. So, Specifically, I've worked with the clients that have come from them, uh, Matthew Decker in particular, where they were like, he told me when he gave me this policy that it was nobody, nobody beats him on policy design. And I'm like, oh, really? Let me take a look at that. And uh, I, I beat it massively. Like it was not anywhere near the best design. Now, he does like one thing that you can do to, to optimize it and ignores reducing the agent commission. I mean, that's really... Right. what it, what it boils down to on that particular on on one of those in particular it was like a $30,000 commission that he had designed for that person and the one i designed for them was a $3,000 commission other than that exactly the same policy and so it massively outperformed and it had early liquidity um it, so it's more than just go with somebody you trust because a lot of people will kind of gain trust from just working with somebody uh, sales tactics that happen. There'll be people that that are like, let's just, uh, I'll get you an illustration, but let's set you up for your medical exam. You know, they're, they're going to go through the steps that try and build commitment with the right. client because they know when they see this bad illustration down the road, they're still more likely to continue and buy the policy because right. they built up this commitment and they feel obligated to, to that agent at that point. Right. Right. So I would say, don't just go with somebody that you, you think you can trust get some other opinions right get some other illustrations you know there's there's people out there that are willing to show you and put their best foot forward you know we don't try and hide the numbers at all right you know, there are other people out there that that are like uh if you, if you want to know the numbers don't come talk to me you know because you just have to trust that i sell the best designs <laughs> right? right and that's right. that's more in the whole life space that i'm referring to but um it's just so funny the the different tactics right. that people will use to get around 
selling not not optimally designed policies. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a there, there's a lot of truth to all all the things that you just said. Um, is there anything else that you want to speak about as it relates to where you see the industry going? Some of the other epiphanies. Um, you know, I mean, we we talked a little bit about your story. Um, and you know, I'm really grateful for you coming on. Is there anything else that you want to chat about as it relates to, to this? And, um, and then I want to make sure that people go and follow your channel and, um, yeah. I look forward to just w whatever the future holds. I really appreciate you taking again, time to come on, come on the show. Thanks. Uh, not, not really much I can think of. Um, <laughs> you do pretty comprehensive interviews. <laughs> I I'm a big fan of your product. I'm a big fan of, of your channel. I've been listening to you since you started it, I think, oh. um, following along my, my general practice is to know what everybody's doing because it helps me to be a better salesperson. It helps me to understand the products better, right. how they can be used. Right. And, and you do a great job of that. Um, I'm, I'm really glad your first IUL video was cringe because <laughs> of the <laughs> things that, and you realize that because the other, the other guys called you out. You've done some right. great interviews with them, by the way. Um, and, and to see your growth, I, I, I'm happy to see it because yeah. I do think it helps. It helps the industry to not just focus necessarily on one product, but, you know, as you work with more, you're going to understand, I think probably what I have, which is they all kind of work the same. And as right. long as we can design the products that fit the client, right. um, that's the biggest thing. You know, we, we don't want, I don't want other agents creating unhappy customers, <laughs> right. you know, I, I work with, I work with one client right now who's bought policies from five different agents. Yeah. And he likes them. He just, he just, he likes all the people that he sees on YouTube and he wants to work with those folks and they're putting out good products. You know, they're designing good products. And so he works with them, you know, that, that just happens. There's, there's definitely room in this yeah. space, I think for people to, uh, yeah design the best policies and not, not worry so much that we're going to lose clients. Right. So yeah. And, and one, one thing that I, I, I agree with everything that you said, by the way, and there's a, I mean, there's a reason we work with the type of people we work with and have our business model, the way that we have it is it's so that we don't compromise values and do the right thing for people. Um, and I'm realizing that you can have a perfectly designed life insurance policy and there is other things to your financial life. You know, you could not have an optimal mortgage situation. You could be funding a ton of other investments. You could be in an investment deal. You could be running a business at a fraction of what you should be running it as. And so what we try to do, and again, it's like life insurance is a huge core of what we do. We try to take a step back, especially with the better wealth side and say, where, where are the inefficiencies? And my definition of an inefficiency is any friction or any barrier that's getting in your way to get to where you wanna go. And how do we get there? And that's that's where I just was like, hey, most of America, especially depending on your financial situation, maybe you should get convertible term. And you know, and it's it's again like I'm not anti-small permanent policies. I'm just saying like I've kind of taken a step back and said even an optimally designed policy with the wrong mindset is you, great. You got the best policy, but what is the actual goal in life? Is it to have a properly structured policy, or is it? to live a wealthy life, which is live an intentional life. And so we're, that, that is the thing, like I'm, I'm constantly learning, trying to like figure out like, what would, what would be really, what would be, we be really proud of. And I came to the conclusion a while ago where it's like, I would not be proud on my deathbed to just be the person that optimally designed life insurance. And that's all I did. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so it's, it's trying to fit that all in. And that's why we have, you know, 
a cash flow model and we do some other things to try to incorporate that but you're totally right within that sector whether it's annuities life insurance investments whatnot you got to make sure that you are working with an expert that is doing the very best thing in that category because any inefficient product that you have is going to weigh everything weigh your potential down so I think, I mean, there's a reason I'm doing this whole series is I want to bring awareness and I want us all to grow because when someone hears your message or when someone hears Steve's message or my message or someone else, hopefully it helps them start thinking differently and it purifies our industry, you know? So again, I, I really appreciate this time and I just, I'm just grateful for, for you being in my life and for you just following what we're doing, vice versa. I appreciate the work that you're putting out and um, is there anything else you want to say before we, before I, we tell people how to get a hold of you? Uh, no, I, I appreciate, I appreciate your, you giving me the opportunity to talk on your platform. Your platform is a bit, you have a bit bigger platform than I do. Um, so I appreciate that. You know, I, I'm a lot slow, slower growing this. <laughs> and, uh, I think you, you definitely have the ability to impact a lot more lives. And so I, I'm just thrilled that you're putting out uh, good content and that you're designing good policies and, and, and you're reaching, you're trying to do what's best for the, for the people, you know, appreciate that. I, that's the goal here. So what, what is the best way to be in touch with you, follow what the work that you're doing? Um, and yeah, where, where can people find you? So for the most part, my YouTube channel is like the only thing that I do. Um, I love that, I <laughs> I, love that man. I don't, I, I, I do have a website, but I've neglected it because uh, I, I'm just too busy with the people that reach out to me from YouTube. Um, I, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't scaled up my business and I don't know if I want to, you right. know, um, I, I'm, I'm choosing to take the time to educate other agents in this space rather than like try and get employees so that I can work with more people because I think ultimately I'll have a bigger impact if I can train other agents to design policies the way that I do and they can run with that. But um, yeah, so YouTube is the best place. And, and I also open up my calendar to anybody. So at, cool. uh, there's links under every one of my videos where people can just sign up, get 20 minutes with me. I always say they can talk about whatever they want. If they want to use that time to talk about sports, they'll probably be disappointed because I don't really watch sports. But if that's what they want to use that time for, they're welcome to. Like I am very giving of my time, even without expecting anything in return. Like cool. I'm, I'm hoping to take that time to help them in whatever capacity I can. And, uh, that's, that's what I'm offering folks. So <laughs> really, really, really cool. I want to see we're, we're having a workshop. Um, and I don't know the exact date, but it's coming up in a few months on life insurance. And I would love to get you there as a presenter. If that, if that oh, works sure. out because, sure. um, your knowledge and we can, we can break down all the ins and outs because again, um, everyone wins when we can get this information out. So, um, Hey James, thank you. Um, I will link your YouTube channel in the description and yeah, just, just appreciate this so much. And, uh, right. I, I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review and share this with the people that you know and love.